I want you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles once again to Proverbs chapter 3. We have the glorious opportunity once again this Lord's Day to open up a portion of God's Word and read it together. I want to read Proverbs chapter 3 this morning as you follow so that we might have the setting for the communication of divine truth. Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe His reproof. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom He delights." How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace." She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but He blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though He scoffs at the scoffers, yet He gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. 
We have been in these last days continuing in our study of Proverbs, specifically looking at this matter of wisdom. Wisdom. We saw in chapter 1 the work of wisdom from verses 20 to 33. And in chapter 2, we saw the excuse me, the warning of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1 and the work of wisdom in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, we have been looking at the wealth of wisdom or the abundance of wisdom. And we've been finding that in chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, we have what we could call the wealth of wisdom's commands, the abundance of wisdom's command. Wisdom gives us a number of principles, a number of injunctions, a number of commands that should occupy our minds as believers in God. And we saw last time that the first two commands are given to us in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Do you remember what they were? Command number one was, do not forget the Lord's Word. He says in verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And then we saw as a motivation or as a reward or as a reason to fulfill that command, this statement, verse 2, For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. You remember that we said that that was a principle telling us that if we are not to forget the Lord's word, that is, the teaching, the commandments of God, we would see length of days, years of life, and peace. Someone, by the way, asked me this week, does this particular statement, length of days and years of life and peace, would be added to those who would fulfill that command, only applicable for the Old Testament believer based upon the issue of the covenants of God, giving The Jews, for instance, because they're the chosen people of God, physical longevity of life, a length of years, and peace, shalom, uh, to those who are under the covenant, those Jews. And I responded to say that while that is a major focus of the covenants that God has given to Israel, it cannot by itself alone be restricted to Israel. And I went, of course to Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about fathers teaching and instructing their children and about children honoring their mother and father. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3, it talks about children honoring their parents and fulfilling, for instance, one of the great commandments, the Ten Commandments, about honoring their mother and father. And interestingly enough, in verse 3, it speaks of the prolonging of life. And that's, of course, beloved, in the New Testament, the New Covenant. While I said that this primarily has spiritual implications, actually the physical implications could also be true for the New Covenant believer. Because if you honor your mother and father, built into the very fabric of that honor is the opportunity for God to bless your life with added years, added sustenance, added growth, added protection. Now remember we said it doesn't necessarily mean that you would live 12 years longer as opposed to someone who didn't honor his mother and father or something like that. 
It's talking primarily, of course, about spiritual protection, spiritual fruit, spiritual addition. But it certainly can't be restricted to the spiritual level alone. And it is true that if someone works at obedience to Jesus Christ, it could very well be that in the providence of God, He gives them extra years to express that obedience. So really, this is not restricted to the Old Covenant alone. Ephesians 6.3 is enough to point that out. So the command number one is don't forget the Lord's Word with the result that you will have the blessing of God, length of days, years of life, and peace. You remember command number two given to us in verse three, do not forsake the Lord's character. It gives two characteristics that are true of God, kindness and truth, and it says that we ought to be replicating the character of God in our own life, including these examples, kindness and truth. It says, verse 3, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, let it be for you the kind of kindness and the kind of truth that speaks of the very character of God. And let it be so aligned with your life that it's actually a part of your neck or your throat. It's a part of your mouth. It's a part of everything about you. It's as though it's, it's, it's in your very being. It's the writing of these principles of the character of God on the very tablet of your heart. And what will someone receive as the reward for such obedience to a command? Verse 4, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. So that you will find favor, God's blessing, God's kindness, even God's salvation. God's everlasting grace is what you will find. And you'll also find not only this favor, but also good repute or a good reputation. As you represent God in the world, so you will be exalted because your reputation will be seen as reflecting the very kindness and truth of God Himself. And it will be pleasing in the sight of God, Solomon says, and in the sight of man. Those were the first two commands we looked at last time. There are four other commands contained for us in verses 5 through 12. And try as I might, I wanted to do the next two. But I couldn't get past verses 5 and 6. Command number three. This is a principle of life. Whether you're in the Old Covenant or the New, whether someone was a believer in Yahweh of the Old Testament flavor or they're a believer in Jesus Christ in the New Covenant sense, the command still holds true and it is this. Trust in the Lord and not in yourself. Trust in the Lord and not in yourself. Look at verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Now, this is a very, very familiar passage to almost anyone who has been in the church for any length of time. Why? Well, because, number one, it's an easy passage to understand. Number two, it's a great memory passage for so many people. In fact, I have been in church life now for over 20 years, and I have seen 
that more often than not, when someone gives a testimony of their faith in Christ publicly, this is probably the most oft-quoted passage of any that I've ever seen. That's probably been your experience too, hasn't it? People will be giving a testimony, for instance, in the waters of baptism, and they'll say, and my favorite passage is, and the one I'd like to share with you today or tonight, and they quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Someone gives a testimony of how they trusted the Lord, and they'll give a testimony of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture. And even though it's simple truths are given to us here in two brief verses, the implications of them, frankly, are profound. Profound. One of the great wisdom statements of all the Bible is verses 5 and 6. We are commanded to trust in the Lord, and at the same time, we are commanded not to trust in ourselves. And I want you to notice exactly how we're supposed to do this by way of these two verses. I want to give you, first of all, three ways in which we are to trust in the Lord. Three ways in which we are to trust in the Lord from this text. First of all, look at the first part of verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What kind of trust is this? We could say it this way. It must be a complete trust. A complete trust. For the believer, the trust which is spoken of here is one of a complete or comprehensive nature. It is a trusting, if you notice the verse, with all your heart. And even though, as I said, it is a simple command, it has massive implications. Why? What are those implications? Well, first of all, it is our nature to trust ourselves and our own ingenuity. Now, I'm not saying anything that we don't know and something that we don't experience every day, but the truth is there nonetheless. We have a constant tendency, all of us, myself included, to trust not in the Lord, but to trust in ourselves, in our own wisdom in our own understanding, in our own insights. We have this insatiable desire to trust our own faculties, to believe in ourselves. And if it weren't enough for us to believe that already about ourselves, we have everything in the world that tells us the very same thing. How many times have you heard an athlete or some uh, Hollywood personality or some famous person who will say something like this, especially to young people, what you have to learn is in order to be successful in life, you have to do what? Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Believe that you can succeed. Uh, believe that you are the person who is most going to bring you what you want. It is absolutely rife in our world today, that kind of mentality. There was even a song a number of years ago that had been written and sung earlier, but Whitney Houston uh, popularized it again, and it became a, a number one song again. And part of the line of the song is learning how to love yourself, because that's the greatest love in the world, the greatest love of all. 
That's the name of the song, The Greatest Love of All. And the greatest love of all, according to that song, is learning how to love yourself, learning how to trust yourself, learning how to believe in yourself. And isn't it amazing that this verse is saying, if you want to have true trust, true trust, abiding trust, continual trust, comprehensive trust, it's not a trust in yourself, it's a trust in the Lord. We're so prone to trust our own capacities. And that is why this command to forsake our own understanding of things is so oft repeated in Scripture. We are commanded by this verse to actively trust in the Lord. Present tense. Abiding reality. Trust in the Lord continually. This is, this is a theme in Scripture. And it's a theme in Scripture and so oft repeated because our tendency, our heart, our bent, our nature is to trust everything except the Lord. In fact, I want you to turn to another passage that's a parallel in many ways. Jeremiah chapter 17. I want you, I want you to know what the Old Testament will tell us both about trusting in the Lord and also not trusting ourselves and our own capacities, our own heart, our own plans, our own minds. Jeremiah chapter 17. This will fill out this very simple command, trust in the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 1. The prophecy of God through Jeremiah says this, The sin of Judah is written down with an iron stylus. With a diamond point, it is engraved upon the tablet of their heart. In other words, that's a verse that talks about total depravity. Total depravity. It's talking about the sinfulness of man. And it's talking about the fact that man is so sinful, he's so bent toward evil, he's so wicked, that it's like an iron stylus. It's almost like a, a CD, a compact disc that we would think of today, where, where those, those rows of information are absolutely dug deep into the very warp and woof of that compact disc. It's right in there. It's the diamond point of a stylus engraved, forged, stamped upon the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. As they remember their children, so they remember their altars and their asherim by green trees on the high hills. O mountain of mine in the countryside, verse 3, I will give over your wealth and all your treasures for booty, your high places for sin throughout your borders. These are the implications of the sin of their hearts. And you will, God says, even of yourself, let go of your inheritance that I gave you, and I will make you serve your enemies. These, in other words, are the consequences of this depravity of their hearts in the land which you did not know or do not know, for you have kindled a fire in my anger which will burn forever. In other words, beloved, God doesn't take lightly the depravity of our hearts. He's very, very concerned about the depravity of our souls. In fact, so much so it says that there's a fire that's kindled with anger which will burn forever. You say forever? Never ending? That's right. You say, well, how about my being a Christian? How about my believing in Jesus Christ? Do you know where that anger was kindled? Do you know where that anger was burned indelibly? In the cross of Christ. 
That's why the, the bowl of God's judgment, His anger was poured out in vengeance against all sin upon the person of Christ. Aren't you glad that's where it was laid instead of yourself? Thus says the Lord, verse 5, Cursed, damned, consigned to hell, reserved for judgment. That's what the word cursed means. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. Some of your translations may say, and who makes his arm his strength. And I always think of those guys in the workout places with all of the mirrors around who just walk up to the mirror after they're working out and they do all of these numbers, you know. And it's amazing to me when you're in there sort of maybe doing your exercise bike or something and you see these guys doing that and they are loving themselves. They're loving what they see. They're studying themselves. Every facet of their muscles and their organs, they're just looking at all of their bodies and they're saying, oh, how good I look. You know what that is? That's a practical example of somebody who's trusting in their brawn, trusting in their physical strength. But notice what it says. And whose heart turns away from the Lord. Isn't that a lot like Proverbs 3, 5? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the positive injunction. Here's the negative prohibition. And don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your own arm. Don't trust in your own strength. Don't allow your heart to turn away from the Lord. And then he gives this incredible picture of a person who turns away from the Lord. Verse 6, For he, that person who trusts in mankind, the person who's trusting in his own strength, his own arm, whose heart turns away from the Lord, what will he be like? He will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. That's pretty dry. It's pretty arid, isn't it? I mean, that's an incredible word picture of what happens to someone whose heart turns away from the Lord, who's not trusting in the Lord, but trusting in their own arm, in their own strength, in their own capacity, in their own thought processes. This is a person who trusts in himself. He trusts in mankind. He's like a bush in the desert. He doesn't even see prosperity when it comes. He's going to live in stony wastes in the wilderness. It's a land of salt without inhabitant. You know, the Bible, in many ways, is so simple. Trust in yourself, this is what you receive. You're like the burning bush of a desert. You won't even see prosperity when it comes. But if you follow the injunction of Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, which means there's no room in your heart for the trust of yourself. It's all gone. Because if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, that means that your whole heart is committed to trusting the Lord and you don't have any more in your heart no more space to trust in yourself. And here's the contrast. Verse 7 of Jeremiah 17. Blessed, enviable is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Why does he say it like that? Well, he's speaking subjectively and objectively. Subjectively, I trust in the Lord. Objective, because the Lord can be trusted. 
Now, there are a lot of things that people trust in these days. Themselves, their cars, their house, their work, their family. They, they trust in those things. They implicitly trust those things because they believe it is those things that will bring them security, success, life, peace, health, whatever. But the Word of God says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. That's your subjective trust in the Lord. That's you trusting Him. Why? Because the Lord is the only one who can be trusted, ultimately. He's the only one that can be trusted. Why? Because objectively, He is the Lord. He's the only one to be trusted. He's the only one that will never fail. He's the only one that will never lie to me. He's the only one who has the character in which I can so easily trust. And what kind of illustration is given about this particular man, the man who trusts in the Lord because the Lord is his trust? Verse 8, for he will be like a tree planted by the water. Do you notice the immediate contrast with the other illustration? The bush in the desert and the tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. I love that one. I love that phrase. He's not going to fear when the heat comes. Not only is he going to see prosperity when it arrives, but he's not going to be fearful at any time when there appears to be a sun-scorched day and he's going to wonder if he has enough resources in order to make it. Oh, no, he'll not fear when the heat comes. But his life will be like green leaves. And he will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. Well, that's the picture of the kind of person I want to be. And the only way you can be that kind of person is if you trust in the Lord. You trust His Word. You trust His character. You trust His plan. You trust His person. And immediately, the Lord goes back to the issue, verse 9, the heart is deceitful than all else and is desperately sick, who can understand it? Who can understand that kind of heart? You know what the answer is? The answer is verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I'm the only one who knows the heart. You don't even know know your own wicked heart, he says. I know the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways. That is, the way of trusting in mankind and the burning bush of the desert, or the trusting in the Lord and His ways and the luxurious green fruit-bearing tree, according to the results of His deeds. That's what it means, beloved, to trust the Lord. And by the way, you may have said to yourself, all right, trusting in the Lord, I understand that. But what does it look like? Well, that illustration that he gives about a tree firmly planted by streams of water, rooted, Doesn't that sound a lot like Psalm 1? And what does Psalm 1 say? Psalm 1 says that you're meditating upon the law of the Lord, how often? Day and night. So that you will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and in whatever he does, he what? Prospers. See, he'll see prosperity when it comes. You're you're delighting in the Lord... You're trusting in Him because you are knowledgeable of His Word. And in both cases, the analogy holds true. It's like a, it's like a stream of water with a tree planted right close to it so the roots grow deep into that nourishment of that stream 
And when a drought comes, he has a resource. He has the, the water stored up underneath because of the rootedness of the tree. I love what commentator David Hubbard wrote about this Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 passage. Trust, trust steps onto the bridge of God's loving power and leaves the shoreline of our own abilities and ambitions behind. That's what trust is. Trust means that you step onto the bridge of God's loving power and you leave the shoreline of your own abilities and ambitions behind. It's forsaking who I am. It's forsaking my own mind, my own capacities, my own abilities, my own ingenuities. It's forsaking that, and it's moving from the shoreline on to the bridge of God's loving power. That's what trust is. That's what it is. That's what faith is, forsaking all. I, I trust Him. That's a complete trust. That's what Proverbs 3, 5 is saying. I want to trust in the Lord with all my heart. That's a complete trust. There's a second thing about this particular verse that I see here. It must be a refusal to trust yourself. Look at the latter part of verse 5. And do not lean on your own understanding. Lean is rely. Some translations say that. Don't rely on your own understanding. If it's a positive, proactive trust in the Lord, then it's also, by way of negative prohibition, don't trust, don't lean, don't rely on your own understanding. That's why I say it is a refusal to trust oneself. It's active. It's not just passive. It's not just me wanting to trust the Lord and sort of passively knowing I'm in the process, I'm in the situation. It's an active refusal to trust yourself. And I say this to people all the time and it bears repeating. You know what it means practically? Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself, but don't listen to yourself. Why? Because if you listen to yourself, you're going to hear all kinds of crazy ideas because of the wickedness of our hearts, even regenerated hearts. It's, it's the opportunity to hear all kinds of things coming out of your mind, your conscience, and you don't want to do that. You don't want to listen to that. You don't want to trust that. You, you want to talk to yourself. You want to say, self, this is not right. This is not best. This is against the Word of God. This is violating my conscience. This is, this is not in tune with Scripture. I must say no to this. I have to refuse to trust myself. Dwayne Garrett balances us here because someone might say, well then, maybe what you're referring to is sort of an anti-intellectualism. Don't, don't, don't trust yourself. Uh, don't trust your mind. Uh, don't think. No. Dwayne Garrett says it this way, Although this passage certainly condemns any academic arrogance, it does not indulge in anti-intellectualism. The commitment of the heart to God means that all the beliefs and decisions of life are to be submitted to Yahweh. Even very practical decisions are in view here and not just matters of academic pursuit. It's true. We're not talking about anti-intellectualism. We're talking about knowing what we know about the heart theologically 
anthropologically. We know that the heart of man is to trust in himself and not in the Lord, and it's simply saying refuse to trust yourself in the process of trusting in the Lord. It's a negative prohibition to not trust in your own take on life, whether it's intellectual or moral, whether it's how the world was made or how I'm to live in that world whether the origins of the world or how I'm to live morally in the world, don't trust yourself. In fact, refuse to trust in yourself. I must forsake my own understanding of life and how it is supposed to be lived. The reason is because my understanding is nothing more in most cases than arrogant self-reliance. Now, we might not always think of it that way, but really, once you do think of it in these stark terms, if I'm not trusting in the Lord, that means I'm trusting in myself, and that means I'm not trusting in the one who created me. I'm trusting in the thing that's created, namely myself or my world, and that means I'm arrogantly relying on something that I don't know is infallibly true. Only the Lord's infallibly true. And I'm going to trust in something that's fallible, whether it's myself or others or anything I see in this world, or how I think the world was made, or how I think the world is to be lived. Anything less than trusting the God who made me is not trusting in the God who made me. That's trust. Trust is not just trusting the Lord from the positive standpoint. It's negatively saying, and I don't trust myself. Maybe we ought to say that. When we exhort people to trust in the Lord... Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do it, brother. Do it, sister. And by the way, don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself. My understanding is flawed. It's beset with only things that I can see, with things that only I can sense, and not on what God can see. How can I assume that I know what is best for me when I know in the final analysis so little about life? When I really know so few things in the grand scheme of things. I, I know so little. Why am I trusting so much in myself? I love what other Proverbs say about this. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 28. I mean, you think I'm bold in some of these assertions about not trusting yourself? As someone would say, you ain't seen nothing yet. Proverbs 28 verse 26 you think I'm dogmatic, narrow. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six: He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. <laughs> it's, just, it's just amazing to me. You read the Bible, and you look at the nightly commentary on the news, and you you see how people are so into themselves and trusting in themselves and their own capacities to understand the world and figure out things. And you look around and you hear all that, you see all that, and then you read Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. The person who's trusting in his own heart is a fool. And you know, when I started thinking about this concept of trust, the idea that really came to my mind was submission. Submission. I'm submitting my own will, my own desires, my own thinking, my own capacities to the one who has made me. It's like that old Romans 9 where I don't trust in the clay, I trust in the potter. I don't trust in myself, I trust in the one who made me, the one who fashioned me, the one who knows me best. 
And you can see that lived out in the life of Jesus Christ, one who was perfect in and of himself. And yet he still submitted himself to one another, that is, the Father. That's amazing to me how you could see in the life of Jesus Christ one who was perfect, but yet one who trusted in the will of his heavenly Father. He showed perfect submission. Listen to a couple of these passages. You don't have to turn there, but listen to a couple of these passages from the the Gospel of John that speak about Christ trusting in the Father and the Father's will. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. In other words, I never take my own initiative. I never go my own way. I never think my own thoughts, but I only think the thoughts and do the things that I see my Father doing. I'm going to submit myself to Him. I'm going to trust Him fully. And as the God-man, the one who lived his life on this earth, who suffered and died, he trusted God the Father to the fullest. I don't do anything on my own initiative. I don't do anything of my own will. I trust my Father, and what I see my Father doing, that's what I'm going to do. Chapter 6, verse 38, this is what he says. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm only going to do His will. I'm only going to take the the Father's counsel. That's what I'm going to do. John chapter 8, verse 49. This is lived out perfectly in Christ. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father. Verse 50, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to trust His will. I'm going to submit myself to Him. I'm going to trust Him with all my heart. That's what Jesus could have likely have said in any of those passages. Trust the Lord with all your heart. That's what I'm doing. Trusting the Lord with all my heart. Trusting the Father. And it's a refusal to trust in your own understanding. There's a third thing I see here in Proverbs 3. Look at the first part of verse 6. It's an acknowledgement of God's lordship over us as both creator and sovereign. Look at the first part of verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge Him. You say, what could you possibly expand on with that? Well, remember this. The word acknowledge is not simply the idea of acknowledging the facts. Actually, this word acknowledge is tied up with the word to know, which is tied up with the idea of intimacy. This is really saying, in all your ways, be intimate with God. That's what it's saying. In all your ways, be intimate with God. That's what Jesus was saying when he was talking about the Father. I just do what I see my Father doing. I'm just intimate with him. I know his ways. I know his will, and I'm just committed to doing his will. That's why he says to us authoritatively, deny yourself. Deny your own will. Trust in the Lord. Acknowledge him. And what you're doing is you're acknowledging God as Lord, Creator, Sovereign. It is to acknowledge who God is. He is beyond us in every way. 
He's the one who created us. He's the one who stands over us as the sovereign who decides what our lives are to be like. And that's, that's the way it should be because he's the one who created us. I mean, it's, it's foolhardy to think of the concept that I am not to trust God who is the one who created me. How could I ever come to the place where I actually question the sovereign will of God who has created me and is the one who is presently sustaining me? How can I question that? Well, the only answer to that, of course, is sin. Because I think there's a better plan. And I love it. Notice it says, in all your ways. In all your ways. We're to acknowledge Him in every area of life. It's to know Him. We could translate it this way. In all your endeavors, know Him. In all your endeavors, know Him. We're to be intimately acquainted with God. We're to know God. Did you know that this is actually tantamount to eternal life, knowing God? Does it not say in John chapter 17, verse 3, these words, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To acknowledge God in all your ways is to know God in all your ways. It's to have eternal life. It's to have salvation. To know God is to know life. To acknowledge God in all your ways. To love Him in all your endeavors, it's to know Him. This is a salvation verse. You might not have thought about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 like this, but this is a salvation verse. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your endeavors, love Him, know Him, be intimate with Him. That's what it's saying. Isn't that what Paul said in Philippians 3? I just desire to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. I just want to know Jesus Christ, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. It's, it's acknowledging Him in all your ways. When we eat, when we sleep, when we rise up, when we work, when we go to school, in all of our ways, in everything that we do, in our sports, in our leisure, in everything that we do, we are to acknowledge Him in all our ways. We're, we're to love Him, to know Him, to be intimate with Him. That's what Second Peter 3.18 says, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a knowing of Him. It's an intimacy with Him. And by the way, as we close, what's the reward? What's the reward for all this? And He will make your paths straight. Boy, if there's any motivation at all in the Christian life, it would be for all of our ways, our paths to be straight. For God to give us the blessing. All of us, myself included, we're into the blessing, right? Well, we're not into the cursings. We're not into the consequences. Oh, we're not into the, to the stuff that's not good. We're into the good stuff, the good booty, the good treasure. We're into that. We're into blessing. We want God to bless us. We want our families to be blessed. We want our kids to be healthy. We want our, our church to, to go forward. We want all of those things. We want our work to go well. We want to be able to sustain ourselves financially. We want our paths straight. That's the motivation. That's the reward. And how can you achieve that? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust in yourself. Don't do it. A complete trust in the Lord. 
a refusal to trust in yourself, and a coming to the place where you are acknowledging the lordship of God as both creator and sovereign. The one who created you and the one who is sovereign over your life, who can do anything he wants. And by the way, everything he does want to do is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, we may not believe that all the time, but that's what God does. If we are His children, He does with us everything that matches His will, and everything about His will is good and acceptable and perfect. This is a trusting in the Lord. I love what Psalm 37, which I think probably in some ways is a real parallel to the idea of this particular passage You remember Psalm 37. You probably have even memorized some portions of this. Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. Trust in Him. Commit your way to Him. If you commit your way to Him, He will commit His straight paths or ways to you. Well, that's a great deal, isn't it? That's the way to go. Psalm 49, this is, this is a, an alternative. For he sees that even wise men die, the stupid and the senseless alike perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names, but man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. That's the opposite. Instead of committing your way to the Lord, you're committing your way to your house because you think your house is forever. And you think your dwelling place is to all generations. And you've called all the lands after your own names. This is Lance Avenue. But man in his pomp will not endure. Boy, don't trust in yourself. Don't do that. Money's so fleeting. Time is fleeting. Family is fleeting. Houses are fleeting. But the way of the Lord, it endures forever. Don't trust in your own pomp. Don't trust in your own way, your own will, your own paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. If you don't, it's going to be bad news. But if you do, oh, what blessing. Oh, what blessing. God will commit Himself to you and make all of your paths straight. You trust in the Lord? You trust in the Lord this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Do you you commit yourself to Him? I was reading in our family devotional time this week, and I read a passage. It was the last verse in one of the early chapters of Matthew And it says, from the lips of Jesus Himself, Blessed is He who is not offended at Me. And then just another chapter later, it talks about the scribes and the Pharisees who were offended at Him. Don't be offended at Jesus Christ. Embrace Him. Love Him. Why? Because blessed is He who is not offended at Christ. Receive Him as Savior and Lord even right now. Let's pray together. Father, we don't want to trust in ourselves. We don't want to trust in our own ingenuity, in our own power, in our own 
pleasures. We don't want to trust in our own resources. We want to trust in You. We want to acknowledge You in all of our ways. Please, Lord, bring us to a place of distrusting ourselves. Not, not to believe that our houses are forever and that we are so important that we can name our lands after ourselves. Father, give us such a distrust of ourselves and such a trust in You that we would commit our way to You and we'd embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We want to do that. We must do that or we will eternally perish. I pray that no one here leaves this place who doesn't trust in the Lord with all of his heart and who doesn't lean, refuses to lean on his own understanding, who acknowledges you in all of their ways so that you would make their paths straight. Father, we alone are those people who are most trusting in ourselves. We pray that we would trust in You and Jesus Christ, Your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.